Welcome to the Bedrock Podcast. Please pardon the background noise, our studio is haunted. Today we are discussing the MAF DT. If you have any comments or would like to ask follow-up questions, visit us at doverspark.org. Enjoy the listen. Hello, Dover Air Force Base. This is Major Joseph Pierce. We're sitting here today with the Wing Commander, Colonel Safranik, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the most recent information that he just got from the MAF DT board. I am Chief Master Sergeant Emily Mosich, and I work in the CAG. I'm Major Patterson Hill. I work in the Bedrock Innovation Office where we're hosting the podcast, and we've got Colonel Safranik, the Wing Commander. Good morning, sir. So I understand that you recently attended the MAF-DT, and so I know that you got a lot of information while you were out there that you'd like to pass along. Uh, But before we start, could you explain to us what the MAF-DT is? Sure, good morning. Uh, MAF is simply the Mobility Air Forces, so it's geared towards the 11 and 12 mics as a career field, and the DT is the developmental team. So afterwards, it's a chance to provide uh, some sort of directional vector to each of the officers that we looked at. In this particular DT, they looked at every single math major, which is about 415 that were recently promoted and, and where they're to be vectored afterwards. What are the types of vectors that they can get out of these positions for people that aren't familiar with the board? Uh, a lot of them are be geared towards uh, various staff jobs, whether or not they're gonna be heading to JCS, whether they'll be heading to a joint job, whether they'll be heading to uh, MAGCOM, or even a NAF level job further on, or if they're even to remain at the unit level. How did you get selected for this board? Uh, the the AMC A1 puts it together for the uh, A3, and they pick the various uh, wing commanders that do some form of a representation across the mobility enterprise. So you'll get wing commanders from USAFE and PACAF that are 11 mics or 12 mics for a career field, and then uh, at the same time, they'll pull the occasional wing commander that is not uh, a C-17 or a 135 pilot or tanker and airlift pilot. This example, we had a cyber wing commander, and that's just to make certain that there's not some sort of group think going on and it keeps us balanced. So what kind of training do you get before you participate in that board? Uh, like all things, we get some PowerPoint slides, do a little bit of a, a self-study, and then they actually teach us at the beginning of the board before it kicks off. One of the areas that they look at is what they call hidden biases. Uh, they give us some training on how it's just very natural for you to select someone that walks, talks, and acts like you, uh, so that you have a tendency to look at what the broader Air Force is looking for instead of an exact duplicate of, of just you. They also go through the mechanics of scoring The scoring is done in half point increments, starting at six points for the low end of the score, all the way up to 10 points for the the high end. Um, And then they give you a memorandum of instruction from the secretary, where the secretary gives some guidance to promotion boards and says, these are the things that we're looking for in promotion boards. So as you're scoring, that helps guide your scoring. And then the DT is chaired in this particular case by the AMC A3, General James. So before you start, he walks you through what he thinks is important. Uh, In this particular case, he said, hey, when you score, I want you to look at things like leadership. 
Uh, in his opinion, that was mission credibility, both a tactical and operational competence. He wanted to look for folks that had uh, shown welfare and development of airmen, uh, total force enablers, diversity of thought and organization, and then things just like this bedrock, uh, officers out there that had been innovative and, and looked at continual process improvements for their units. Uh, then he said another category he wanted folks looking for was the depth and breadth of a, uh, an officer's career. What type of weapon systems expertise did they have? Do they have joint or total force experience in their record? Combat experience, international experience, as well as institutional requirements. And then he laid out his top five, which was uh, leadership, is always going to be primary, sustained performance and assigned duties. Uh, I'll tell you, there were some individuals that had really phenomenal performance reports on top, and maybe they had a really great stratification on top, but you looked at the previous decade prior and it was average at best. So it was nice that that one on top was nice, but they didn't have the sustained performance. Uh, progression and duty qualifications. Uh, by the time you're talking about a major, they should have worked their way up to instructor pilot. They should have worked their way up through flight commander. Um, so you want to see that somebody was a first pilot or a co-pilot, became an aircraft commander, worked their way up to instructor, and in some cases, evaluator. And then special programs. We got the Phoenix Horizon program out there with Phoenix Mobility, Phoenix Torch, Phoenix Reach. We've got the Weapons School. There's programs out there like the White House Fellowship. So some sort of a board-selected program that, that showed that that person was a cut above against their peers. And then the last uh, one of the round out that top five is that joint experience. Because in the end, we're all going to eventually have to be a part of the joint fight. Sir, thanks. Um, what, I know, sir, I know you've sat on a, a few different boards. I was wondering if you could touch briefly on what makes the DT vector uh, and that process a little bit different than a central selection board that you'd see for promotion. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of differences, and probably the primary is when you grade records on a promotion board, you grade a record by yourself. You're not allowed to talk or communicate with the other board members so that you somehow don't influence someone else. Uh, this one has a little more freedom, that if you're digging through a record and you have a question, uh, you're allowed to ask that question if you don't understand it or you want something explained to you in somebody's record. In some cases, another board member may be the person that signed that record. So you don't have to guess what they were trying to write. Uh, you can reach over the computer terminal and say, hey, you signed this. Uh, can you explain more to me what you were trying to, to get at? Sir, you mentioned uh, that the records that you're reviewing and you said it's a 10-year look. What is included in these records? So they give you the equivalent of a surf. It's gonna show you uh, the officer's entire record. Then they're gonna give you every performance report, every training report, and they'll give you all the medals and decorations that the officer has been given. And then on top of that, there's the form that we fill out that we get from our um, senior raters and the individual's comments on what they would like to do and where they'd like to go. So keeping those things current in places like Talent Marketplace and, and in the past where we had the ADPs, they're going to look at those comments on what the individual wants as well as what the senior rater is willing to push for. That's a lot of information to go through. How did, what was your technique for determining who was on top? So, so for me, it was simple. The technique I would use is I would always start at, at something similar to a surf and just look through the, the big pictures of their record. Uh, Air Force has always pushed for education, so I'd look and see do they have a master's degree or not. I know that it's not, it's not a promotion board, so it's not a requirement, but it's kind of a nicety. 
to see. I'd look at their professional development on education. At this point, they, they should have completed SOS and whether or not um, they had or not. I'd see the aircraft that they'd flown, the hours that they'd had in those aircraft, uh, the different qualifications that they'd had in those aircraft. I'd be able to review just the titles of the decorations. Uh, when you're talking about joint experience, if somebody's got an Army Commendation Medal or a Joint Commendation Medal, then it speaks a little more than just, hey, they participated in an exercise once or twice. Uh, foreign language skills, that international experience, deployment history would be on there. Had they deployed? How long had they deployed for? How many times had they deployed? And then obviously the duty history. Did it start to show that progression? Were they a flight commander? Were they an instructor pilot? That's kind of the minimum bar for me in some ways. And then obviously there's things above and beyond that, evaluator, pilot, weapons officer, to show that they're, they're more than just the average IP. Uh, and then obviously any sort of a key duty that may have, have stood out in, in the jobs that they had done. Then I would move over to the OPRs. Uh, very simple, you can look at a lot of the bottom lines in the OPRs quickly and see if there's stratifications and if so, at what level. Was it a flight commander that stratified them or was it a wing commander that stratified them? Were they extremely high or were they just kind of mediocre? Did they have any sort of quarterly awards that they had been put in, whether it's a functional expertise or, or even more importantly, the officership side of the house uh, pushes for leadership? Uh, because these are majors and these are people that are um, on the potential for command. Were they starting early in their career uh, as a senior captain and starting to see that, hey, this is the person that has the potential to be a squadron commander. This is the person we want on the squadron command track. Or were the pushes just simply for, hey, make this person, uh, you know, whatever various job next, and it, and it would kind of move on. You'll see some of those pushes develop earlier in people's careers than, than others. Um, joint experience, I mean, you could see if they were in AMLO or not. You could see uh, various joint jobs they may or may not have had, whether or not they had AOC experience uh, based on their duty titles. And then obviously when they deployed, uh, they would have LOEs sometimes, and instead of just deploying in a more functional role, did they deploy in a leadership role with somebody, a, not just a pilot, but a debt commander uh, running a 65-person debt as well as, as, as doing the flying. All those things that you can find. Uh, and then as you're digging through the OPRs, you would find things that are a little harder than you won't find in the surf. So yes, they went to SOS, but were they an SOS DG? Yes, they went to... Uh, C-17 initial qual, but did the DG out of being um, initial qual? And then once again, those, those special programs. Were they a test pilot? Did they do Phoenix Torch? Did they do Phoenix Reach? Did they do the weapons school? Were they an Olmstead scholar? Did they do Phoenix Mobility? Uh, and then you start to see combat experience as well when you look at the, the medals that are listed in their records. Were there medals with combat? Were there medals with valor? Uh, little more than just kind of the average, hey, I PCS'd as a captain and got a commendation medal, I PCS'd as a major and, and got a uh, meritorious service medal. At the same time, did they PCS as a major and not get a medal? Did they PCS as a captain and not get a medal? If so, what was the story and, and why? There may have been a negative reason for that happening. Uh, but I'll tell you, I, I can't emphasize enough the various special programs that are board selected. If you get into one of those programs, it just shows that you've competed against your peers and you're just slightly a cut above. Sir, you focused a lot on a member's record. Uh, so outside of maintaining a, a high level of, of performance, what can an officer do to get ready for, for this board? Uh, in some ways, you can't because your 10 years are done, right? It's already in there. 
But what you can do is you've got to make certain that your record is current. It, it amazed me at the amount of officers that were missing items. There were officers that hadn't had a performance report in their official record for 18 months, which sends the signal that either A, the officer didn't fill out the draft copy for their supervisor, or B, their supervisor didn't care enough about that officer to make certain it got done. I mean, we all accept that if a report should close out in June and you're at a board in July, then okay, it just takes a couple of days. But if the report should have closed out in January and it's July, why did nobody care enough to push that thing forward? As an officer, how important are my comments to the board uh, in that section in talent marketplace where I can tell the board what I'm looking for and what I want to do with my career? And what do you want to know as a member sitting on that board about what I have to say? Uh, they're important at different times. When you're straight out scoring a record, you're just scoring the record. It's kind of unemotional and just looking at the facts. Uh, where your comments come in more importantly is after the records are scored, they rack and stack them in order from a, a one to N. And then when you start to try to match people to various schools or match people for various pushes, then you start to look at the comments of what they want. And a lot of times the boards will say, hey, this person was number one out of 415 people. Let's see what they want. And, and you'll try to, to do your best to match the needs of the Air Force against their needs. Um, what I find is, is most people do a lot of the same comments, and I think it's something that we've bred internally, where we'll say, hey, don't, don't say what you want. You know, don't talk about you. Um, talk about the needs of the Air Force and how you can try to, based on my experience as a combat aviator, I would like to grow and develop that experience even more in the next job I go. 415 of those things say the exact same thing. You can't come up with anything unique and different by just trying to tote some sort of a party line. Where if you just tell the board what you want and, and be open and honest about it, hey, um, my parents have got cancer and they live in the Virginia area. Uh, I, I understand it's the needs of the Air Force. I would like to do an assignment that is somewhere in and around DC and the Northeast. Okay, fair enough. That, that gives the board all sorts of left and right options, um, but at the same time, they'll do their best not to put you in California. Sir, so the board's over. Uh, I got the email um, on, my, on my vector. I go into AMS and I can check uh, what my vector is. What's next for me as an officer? What can I read into that? Uh, I would use the vector as a trend. It's not, it's not cement that's locked in. Uh, for example, I had a vector when I was a major for JCS. I ended up working at the Pentagon for the half. Close, not exactly the same. Uh, once again, they're trying to give you an idea of where you compare compared to your peers. They're trying to give assignments officers an idea of where you should roughly go, but at the same time, they're not locking people in specifically based off of just that vector. There's more to it than that. So as I listen to you talk about these examples, sir, I, I keep hearing special programs and DG and you know, number one of, of however many in the wing. Uh, what if you're a guy like me who, who doesn't necessarily have that record? I've, I'm an instructor, I've, I've had a pretty decent record, but I haven't done any special programs, I haven't been a DG. Do I still matter at this DT board? And, and sure, I'll tell you, the thing that I found over the years is that people constantly get told, hey, you know, you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, 
So they feel that if they didn't do something, then all of a sudden they're somehow disenfranchised on the outside. Um, I've always gone under the venue of do what you want to do, because if you do what you want to do, you'll do a better job at it. If you do a better job at it, you'll probably get stratified and, and, and get ranked higher amongst your peers because you enjoy what you're doing. Uh, and, and some examples I use that life's not perfect, right? So uh, when I was in Grand Forks, North Dakota, uh, very, very low manning. Uh, I was a brand new captain and I was a flight commander. Not because I was the greatest guy on the planet, but because there was just a manning issue at Grand Forks. And guess what? You got brought up to a higher level of, of duty position just based on, on necessity. Then I PCS to McDill, which you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a major at McDill. Um, and my flight commander was a lieutenant colonel. So if you look at my surf, it says flight commander, and then the very next job is assistant flight commander. So somebody would panic and say, well, wait a second, you know, you're digressing in your career field and, and the sky is falling. No, people understand that PCS and things changed. Uh, but at the same time, when I look at the things I was able to do in that year, being an assistant flight commander, it was one of my more stronger years. So the record stood out in other ways, uh, which is why even if you look at some of the records that got scored, somebody might not have been a flight commander, but you can see where they did something else and they still excelled in all those other areas, which kind of makes up for that. Uh, and, and I use examples all the time. If, if I got a friend of mine, General Canlis, who's the AOC commander and obviously a general officer, uh, he made the decision early on that he wanted to be a C-21 schoolhouse squadron commander. So he, he worked at that and was fortunate enough to make that happen. When you talk about MWSs and what's primary and, and that sort of thing, there's people that probably told him, hey, you're killing your career. You know, by going to ATC versus staying in AMC, by, by going to C-21 versus like the C-17 at Altus or the 135 at Altus. Uh, yet if you look, it, it didn't hurt his career. Uh, the former EC commander, he, um, he had a strong desire to cross flow into the C-5 late in his career as a lieutenant colonel. And he had more people tell him, okay, you're a lieutenant colonel, you're a critical point in your career. If you do this, you know, you're going to have all these magic beans and everything's not going to work out. Well, the guy made two-star general and became the expeditionary center commander. So um, it obviously worked out for him. So nothing really trumps strong performance, consistent performance over time. It's not the duty titles. It's not the DGs. It's not the schools. It's not the special... Uh, tags that get put on you that's always going to be the number one piece how how do you differentiate the importance of i'll separate into three different categories so there's ops performance which as a pilot i would say is how well i fly and instruct the airplane and then there's job performance which is how well do i lead the innovation office or how good of a flight commander am i and then i would say the third one is admin performance which is the other stuff that's not your job or or the ops that could be anything from planning the Christmas party to doing a really good job planning the air show for the base, stuff like that. I think a lot of people say that we weight too much importance on the on the admin side. What would your response to that be? Um, I think it's a folklore, to be honest with you. The, the admin stuff sort of counts, but a lot of times it's intro. I mean, I'm going to give you something small and relatively easy. And if you do well at it, that lets me know that, hey, there's not a lot of consequence to the Square and Christmas party failing. And if you do well at it, I can then give you something bigger and stronger. Where if I give you something massive that is critically important to the mission without having an idea of how you're going to do, and then you fail at that, there's impact to it, right? So 
you have to be good at your job, especially as a CGO. So as we looked at these majors, that's why we wanted to make certain they were evaluator pilots, instructor pilots, weapons uh, officers. We wanted to make certain they had you know, multiple airplanes, even some of the quote special programs like Phoenix Reach are geared towards that breadth. Um, you've got that piece to it. You have, you have to transfer over to the leadership piece. You cannot succeed in the Air Force by just being a good pilot. If you're a crappy flight commander and a good pilot, it will not work, right? You'll cap out at captain, you'll cap out at major, and, and, and you'll be done. Uh, so that first and second piece you talked about are absolutely important. The third piece, really, it, it, it's there, um, but, it's, but it's not primary. If you'll notice, nowhere in any of those grades did I say so-and-so excelled at the squadron Christmas party, so-and-so excelled at being uh, the air show booster club volunteer. Um, it helps with some of the well-roundedness and that you're given in, but it, it won't be primary and it's never listed, even with the math DT chair put down. And then the, the only thing I would add to that is, I think some people would argue that that doing some of those admin duties would maybe get you the better job or get you the better strat. But what I'm hearing from you is, is sure, we might have challenged you with, with something on the side, but it's it's really just to see how you did with that before we throw you in a flight commander job that's a new field job. Because if you fail at that, you're failing your airman. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you that I've helped volunteer throughout my career on various things, but you're, you're talking to somebody that has never chaired the Christmas party, never chaired the air show, never chaired the company grade officer, council president, um, you know, due to, due to ops tempo and everything else. So I've, I've participated, I've helped, I've helped out where I can, but that's not where my primary focus was. And if you look at my records, you won't see that in there. Um, so I, I tell you, I think a lot of it is folklore, but I'm telling you at the same time, if somebody does well at something like that, then you say, hey, they can get something done. I'm going to give them more. Uh, I hate to say it, but one of the rewards for job well done is more work. It's going to be bigger, harder, and more difficult until eventually you show you can't perform at that level. Sir, did you, uh, do you have any points or key highlights from the records that you do, did score, the things that stood out to you, uh, either good or bad? Sure. So what I'll go through is I asked them to do something different. They give you a cheat sheet for you to write down your scores and some comments. Um, because at the end, if there's a split in scoring, which we can talk about in a second or two, um, you have to be able to kind of justify, hey, why did I score the way that I did? And normally that all gets shredded. And I asked the board, I said, hey, if I cut the names off of the score sheet and just look at the raw scores and the notes so that it's sanitized, can I keep my notes? And they said, sure, no problem. So what I'm gonna do is just kind of shuffle through some of the comments, once again, for the folks at the top, and then I'll go through the folks at the bottom. So when I look at the folks at the top that I scored highly, it was things, the going in assumption for me was looking at their records and saying, hey, these people are probably already flight commanders, they're probably already instructor pilots, they've already got operational experience, they've already got deployments under their belt. So I didn't write any of that stuff in my notes, just assuming if it wasn't written, they had it. Um, and if they didn't have it, that's when I started to take, take notes. So in addition to those things, I found folks that scored high that were sole two evaluator pilots, ops group execs, they were in the top uh, four or five percent of the wing as a company grade officer. Um, another individual was a weapons school DG evaluator pilot. He had pushes for the joint staff, pushes for SAS. He was in the top uh, five to ten percent of all the captains at the weapons school. So when you figure the amount of talent that's at that school um, as an instructor, 
for him to be in the top five to ten percent of all the woes. Um, obviously, somebody that, that has some talent and on top of that had a, a DG at SOS. Uh, another individual is an evaluator pilot, Phoenix Reach, a wing exec, number one of 227 CGOs in a DG from SOS. Um, another individual is an evaluator pilot, a CAG, number one of 201 wing CGOs, and he had pushes already in his record for this will be a future squadron commander, sent him to the JCS, and he was a weapons officer. Uh, another person, when you talk about just breadth of record, he'd flown the 135 DG at 135 initial qual, was a Phoenix Reach, gone to the C-17, was an instructor pilot, and then had also flown the T-6 and was an evaluator pilot. So quite, quite the experience on the flying side of the house. Not as high of strats, but because of his, his breadth in flying made up for it, but he was still in the top 10% of the wing strats and was a DG from SOS. Uh, another record, FTU instructor pilot. So, you know, being an instructor is one thing, but being an FTU instructor is just slightly. You know, you're going to get a couple extra points for me on that one, and was an evaluator pilot. Uh, was not a flight commander, which was a, a little bit of a, of a ding, but still a willingness to push him up based on the other things, and then had good solid strats um, as well. Another person going very similar to the first person we talked about, Sol 2 evaluator, excuse me, Sol 2 instructor pilot, pushes for JCS, was number two CGO on the wing, was a weapons officer and an SOSDG. So you can start to see where some of those things that we've talked about, when you start to pick them up in addition to leadership, flight commander, instructor pilot, operational experience and, and deployments, those all start to be the icing on the cake that push them a little bit higher up above their peers. When I look at the grades, that I gave the lowest, um, I can kind of pull out some of those highlights there. A uh, particular individual was never an instructor pilot their entire career. Their last OPR was not in there for almost 18 months. Uh, the OPRs they did had really had no real stratifications in them whatsoever. Uh, another individual had flown both the 135 and the MQ-9 and did not make instructor in either one of those platforms. The highest job that they'd held in their duty positions was assistant flight commander. So once again, a squadron commander never took the time to make them uh, a flight commander. So it's not that you're not an instructor and it's not that you're not a flight commander, but when you have an and, it starts to, to send a message. And then to top that off, they had a PT failure. And instead of a push for command and, and future leadership billets, they had a push from their squadron commander that said, keep challenging. All right. So when you're an officer and your records say, keep challenging, that's probably not a good push that, that you want to have. Uh, another individual that had lower parts of the record, same thing, had only made assistant flight commander, had had been an aircraft commander in a, in a major weapon system for almost four years and never upgraded to instructor pilot, had zero stratifications in the entire report, nothing but just nice flowery words. Um, another individual's record that we looked at, same thing, never a flight commander. Did get some stratifications, but it was roughly about the top third, and the squadron commander was the highest person to sign off on that person, but had a referral OPR as well as PT failure. So those start to show you some flags that they're, they're struggling. Uh, another individual uh, I have written down in my notes, and excuse my French on this one, crap for strats. Um, no real solid pushes, and, and once again, never made instructor pilot in almost 10 years of flying. So you can see where you know, like the Air Force is pushing right now for instructor duty and recruiting duty and that sort of thing, but it goes beyond being an instructor at the academy and an instructor down at SOS. Being an instructor in your primary platform is, is, is a key benchmark. Um, I, 
I got question marks on this one individual, did not make aircraft commander in almost four years of flying a particular airframe um, as, as they'd worked their way in. Never a flight commander and just lots of words. Sir, what happened, what's the process if there's a difference between how you score and the other members score a package? So the way the, the scoring works is it's at six points to 10 points. And out of 415 records, and we had 16 people, two general officers and 14 wing commanders that went through and scored records. We had about five that had a difference of two points or more. So if you have a difference of two points or more, then they allow the different people that scored those two point differences to just talk afterwards. And one person will say, hey, this is why I gave him a low score. And the other person will say, hey, this is why I gave him a high score. And you may find that it goes either way. Um, someone that gave him a high score may have found things in the record that the other person missed or didn't see. And they concede and say, oh man, I didn't see that. Okay, I'm gonna bump my score up so that it's inside of those two points, at least a point and a half or less. And then at the same time, there may be something in there that's negative that a person says, hey, um, this is what I saw that's negative. And then the other person says, oh, I didn't see that. You're right, you know, I'm gonna bring my score down. At the same time, the, the two that were two point differential, they have to somehow come closer than two points. But that conversation can also change people's scores that aren't a part of that two point differential. There's times I've been a board member and as those conversations take place, um, I may change my score, either higher or lower, based off of the conversation. You mentioned um, how many people were in the room just then. How many on a promotion board, there's, at least on the enlisted side, we've got three people looking at each record. Was the entire group looking at every record or was it broken, was it sectioned out and so? That's, that's a good question. It was split in half, two teams with, with about seven to eight wing commanders on one team with a general officer scoring and then the other one with about seven to eight and a general officer scoring and we split that up so that we could score about 200 a little over 200 records per panel and then those all came together and then if you look at those those different folks just they really try to do a wide array of background we had wing commanders from air force material command uh, people from USAFA, AATC, PACAF, USAFE, uh, the reserves, background with test pilots, T1 pilots, academic department heads at the academy, and then, they, and then, like I said, they even had a cyber wing commander in there to balance out to make certain that there's not a lot of groupthink uh, to challenge some of the assumptions and maybe those hidden biases during those discussions. You mentioned the one individual who squadron commander wanted to keep challenging him on his OPR. What are some other terms that maybe a younger CGO might see on the report, uh, such as limitless potential or keep challenging that, uh, you, you know, if I'm that CGO, I think, oh, he, he wants to keep challenging me, but really as a senior leader, you see that as this person isn't performing where they should be. What are some other things like that that you've seen? Um, you know, the, the kiss of death is when the bottom line says there's been a referral performance report you know, please see the, the, the negative information. Uh, the other part is, is white space. And now instantaneously people think, oh, if I have a half of a space left at the end of the line, that's the white space he's talking about. No, nobody cares if there's one space of white space left at the end. But I've seen bottom lines where a third of the bottom line is white. That's, that's a very negative indicator to say, hey, 
pay attention, look here, because it stands out. Um, right. and, and, and usually when you read the words that go along with that, it'll be something very direct that says, hey, this person's had a referral, this person has had challenges. Uh, you know, there's all the wives' tales, like if I say well-rounded officer, does that mean that they're chubby and fat? No, I mean, no one's, no one's looking for the hidden deciphered type stuff. It, it's usually blatant and will come out. I mean, in this particular case, when it said continue to challenge this officer, the way it was written wasn't in a hidden meaning sort of way. It was very much online with what the rest of the record said, which was, hey, this person has had struggles and we're gonna continue to challenge them. Uh, you should see a push for SOS. If you haven't gone to SOS, you should see a push for IDE if you haven't gone to IDE, because the reality is um, if we're gonna push you to these schools and pay for that money, and pay for that time and make that investment in you, we're probably gonna keep you on a track to get you promoted. If we stop pushing for you to go to school, then that's us saying we're not willing to invest time, energy, and money in you as an officer. Um, and then the same thing, you can have nice endings to your reports that say, hey, good person, but that's the minimum. What you wanna see is, is it pushing you somewhere further and higher to what you're already doing? As we wrap this up, and this might be a better question for Major Pierce, who's with us, but uh, aside from listening to this podcast, where, where do I learn more? Or, or where do next year's you know, captains, as, as they promote to majors, where, where do people need to go to get this information before they're bored? Uh, your best bet is checking my purse. They put a ton of information out there. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to dig for it. But if you start talking to your squadron commanders, they get information from the FSS which gets information from AFPC, plus they sit through the staff meetings and that sort of stuff where the execs are constantly pushing them information. So as an officer, one of your starting points really needs to be your squadron commander on, hey, what are the timing? When are things coming out? How does this work? And, and we encourage squadron commanders all the time to sit down and do brown bag series in professional development in order to walk people through, this is how the system works so that you're educated. Just to touch on that as well, as, as Colonel Sfranek said, there's no substitute for good leadership. Um, a tool of mine that I have to use, and some people may not know about this on the portal. If you go into the portal uh, and then drill down from AMC, if you select your Matchcom as AMC, and then drive, continue drilling on down to A1. A1KO is the force development branch of AMC. Uh, and they, they have a lot of really good information on that page to include 11 and 12 Mike mentorship guide that I've, that I've always liked to use in my mentors, mentorship sessions. When we post this on the site, we'll, we'll leave a, a space for questions. And so if you're listening, just feel free to type in a question and then we can address that on the next podcast. We're out. Right. Thanks, sir. Yep. Thanks. Rock out. See you.